Greetings. Welcome to Haver Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If we like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook and other platforms. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Listen, if you haven't yet given us a five-star review, listen, pause this recording right now and go to your favorite platform, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, and leave us a review. Unless you're driving and then don't pause, please, and leave a review. Do it later. We thank you so much for it. That'll help us and it'll help spread our platform. Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group which I deeply apologize for allowing to go dormant recently. I promise you, we're gonna throw some fascinating, entertaining, thought-provoking content on there this weekend. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you, man? Great, Kirk. And uh, I just want, I'm thrilled to see our podcast audience grow. That's been super cool. So clearly people are, are sharing and talking about it, and that's awesome. And, and it's just fun for you and me, I know, to interact with, with uh, people who listen. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, the Facebook group is really kind of the best place to do it. Uh, obviously, like if you talk about us on Twitter, we'll, we'll probably find it. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but Twitter, it's hard with all the mentions. And, and uh, frankly, I don't go to our Twitter account that often. And I, sh- <laughs> you know, maybe I should. But, um, but anyway, so Facebook uh, discussion group is, is, a, is a great place uh, to interact. We, we have a, we, we post the episode every time and then uh, it's been fun when people every time except the last two (laughs) whatever life is busy this isn't our full-time job people (laughs) that's yeah so so uh we this has been an interesting week my in-laws were here for uh wednesday to wednesday so they left two days ago we're recording on a friday uh and and it'll probably come out later today uh not sure when you're going to listen, but, but this past Monday was Labor Day. Labor Day uh, had really warm uh, uh, Sunday. I think we had really warm weather actually. So Sunday it was 88 degrees. Monday the high was 48. Oh jeez. So I know <laughs> your wife mentioned that it was 87 uh, out there. Oh yeah. Day. We've oh, had yeah. a fall chill in the air. Uh, pretty much all week. I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday that it really cooled off and uh, has been uh, cool all week. We're going to have uh, quite warm weather return this weekend, but I love that, Kirk. I, I love the, the everything that fall brings. Uh, football, baseball playoffs, um, school, uh, kind of uh, a ramp up in church activity. I, I just love everything that, that fall brings. Tonight, mm. Kirk, uh, we're going to have a Twins game. Uh, uh, Kent and Maeda, our, our ace, is going to go <laughs> yeah. up against 
Shane Bieber, who is a twin killer and probably the likely Cy Young winner in the AL. A was twin a killer one- and a Justin Bieber twin? <laughs> no, no. And uh, I think his ERA is close to one, Kirk. So yeah. I'm excited about. Uh, Didn't we beat him last time we faced him? I think we did. I think we did. Or at Nelson least we Cruz and maybe Gelson. No, both went. Well, yard. we beat them. I I think he's seven and zero this year. Yeah. yeah. So I he's, don't think he got the loss. Basically unhittable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, football starting up. Uh, NFL started up last night, and Kirk had this great idea two days ago. <laughs> we are doing a Haber people fantasy football league. And this is, uh, this is so fun. Uh, we are doing a fantasy football league with Kirk, me, uh, our father and Kirk's uh, three boys. Yes. And uh, I talked to Jordan last night, so she wouldn't be left out. I think she's going to be on my team. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So nice, nice. Uh, we, we, we exchanged some friendly jabs last night. I, <laughs> kind of teased each of Kirk's uh, boys and uh, they came back with, with some pretty uh, clever um, uh, uh, comebacks. It was was a lot of fun. Yes. And, um, and I had named all my, all my children's teams with place filler names, um, placeholder names. Uh, They were kind of boring and immediately they wanted to, they wanted to name their teams and Oh my gosh, did they, did they stamp their personality on their respective teams. Uh, so my, my oldest son, Bryden, uh, who is, uh, he, he loves things like Minecraft and the Harry Potter series um, and gaming and fantasy, fantasy literature. I guess I'm repeating myself, uh, but you're noticing I'm not listing sports in that list of things that he loves. And so, however, he's so social and like he'll watch football if it's on and he kind of picks stuff up and watch baseball if it's on. And, uh, but anyhow, he's like, well, I was thinking of what are, what are, what are some teams that, that I like? And I realized I didn't even know any good teams. So I figured <laughs> I'll pick a, one of my favorite cities that doesn't even have a football team. So of course, Christopher, his, his team is the Tokyo. And then he named it after his gamer tag. So the Tokyo yeah. bleep his gamer tag, <laughs> which did Jordan see that? No, not yet. Uh, wait until she sees that. She will yeah. certainly chuckle at that. And then Simon, my middle son, who is, uh, who is very sporty and uh, just a deep traditionalist. Um, he loves baseball, America, apple pie, and all the traditions that he's been taught. And so he named, and, and as, a, as a homeboy, he named his team Pittsburgh, because we live in Pittsburgh. And then he named it the Deep Fried Wings, because he associates <laughs> watching football eating wings right how, how traditionalist is that christopher can you just see simon like liturgically that were the wings it's time to watch football right and then george my youngest son who's just the the free spirit um he's he's a party in a can he walks into the room and he has this ear to ear smile and pretty soon everyone just everyone else just feels great about life um well he for reasons that only make sense in his head well, who knows? He was prophetic. Now they might be good. He decided a year ago when they were awful that he loved the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they had <laughs> uniforms. And then just because for reasons, again, that makes sense in his head, make him smile. He named himself the Tampa Bay prodigy. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and, and I, and what a Kirk and what a generational uh, difference. Tampa Bay has terrible uniforms. Yeah. They're awful. But like, I also know your kids love the color rush uniforms and right, those right. things it, are hideous. So my, my children cannot be trusted to design anything. <laughs> and I, this is how I know that I'm getting old when like all the, all my students love color rush week. 
And I'm just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, stab my eyeball with an ice pick. Uh, <laughs> but, and, and, then, and then I, Christopher, did you see my team name? A, a I did, I don't to, remember. Call back to our childhood. Oh, yes, right? I, yes, I do. Yes, yeah. So when, when Christopher and I were growing up and we would, Christopher, you have joked with my children, they have no idea how many more toys they have. Uh, just, just how we have lavished them and grandparents and, and uncles and aunts have lavished them with gifts and loves and technology and toys. Uh, you have joked with them that you and I um, were content to play with the stick in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes we literally played with sticks in the dirt in the alley. Out oh, back. yeah. We have pictures of, of us <laughs> with like dirt all over our faces, yeah. just digging holes in the alley. Yeah. In the alley out back. And in our, in our old, old lady neighbor who paid us like $3 to mow her lawn. Yes. Uh, she would complain that she was going to break her axle by driving into one of the holes. Yeah. <laughs> because we had built these imaginary kingdoms in the alleyway, like digging, like trench works and fortified forts and whatever. And then using sticks to create like castles and stuff. And the name of, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the name of my kingdom was Lystria. And I wasn't sure what to name. I was, I was thinking of naming uh, my, my team the Shire, like a callback to our, our, what, what, I, what I jokingly call our home, the Shire, and of course, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Not jokingly, uh, affectionately. Uh, affectionately, that's right. And the kid, our boys were just, uh, with one voice, said, no, 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 you need to name your team Lystria. And that, is, that was my, my magical kingdom of our childhood, Christopher. It was Lystria. So I named my team uh, Lystria. And then I'm like, what's Lystria? And I, I named them the Hoplites because, because Greek history. And I'm a history teacher. So well, since the we, Hoplite since was a Greek over, warrior. So. Since we're going over names, mm-hmm. uh, my, my team name currently is I'm Going to Beat George. <laughs> which, so which in return, uh, I got a... a, a very cute, uh, just ear to ear grin video of George saying, I'm going to beat you, Christopher. Uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, that was cool. Um, yeah, Kirk, I remember uh, we, we dug extensively. And I don't know if you remember, uh, our parents, I guess I should say this, I don't remember them getting all that mad at us. But I mean, there were limits to what we were allowed to do. Because I remember we dug significantly under the sidewalk under the sidewalk yes. and we didn't fill that in so the sidewalk wouldn't collapse you know and break <laughs> right. you know we were we were ambitious uh ambitious lords of our of our territories so i shouldn't be surprised that that isaac our son just loves digging and uh <laughs> kind of drives us a little bit crazy so it'll be interesting if he remembers us just uh kind of frustratingly kind of whispering not bad words um uh to ourselves as as we he complains when we say he can't dig giant holes in our yard in our grass Kirk. right we're like no back there and then the very back like that's where you can dig and there's a hole that i accidentally stepped in the other day because he dug it so that sounds i guess uh i guess uh genetics are strong yes yes and uh and digging holes is a timeless tradition i guess (laughs) no matter how many toys you have (laughs) Indeed. Shall we move on to the gospel, Christopher? Let's.
Today's gospel comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. But when the servant, when, the, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When a fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week we jumped forward a couple chapters in the book of Matthew. Uh, and then today uh, we have, uh, we begin right where we left off last week, which if you don't recall was a passage on resolving conflict in the church. Uh, so you go first directly to that person, and if they do not listen, you bring along uh, one or two others. And if, if they still do not listen, then you bring the issue to the whole church. And then if they still do not listen, um, they are to be to you as, as a Gentile or a tax collector. Today, uh, in today's lesson, Peter wants to know how many times he is required to forgive his brother. Uh, Kirk, it's not clear whether he means brother by blood as in the apostle Andrew, right, or just in general, a you know, because we the apostles would use familial terms. <laughs> Does Peter have an agenda here? <sighs> Jesus, my brother Andrew keeps wearing my Randy Moss throwback jersey without asking me. <laughs> but of course, um, yeah, the, Christopher, this is reminiscent of the modern phrase um, asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Peter, yeah, I, I'm yeah. just Jesus. I'm just asking for a friend, but. <laughs> yeah, so it could be his, his brother, but most likely it's just like um, they use familial language. Um, so it's just how, how often am I, am I required to forgive? So what I want to point out about this question is the legalism behind it, right? Jesus presents himself firmly against legalism. Jesus is less concerned for fulfilling the letter of the law than fulfilling the spirit of the law. And that's a big issue with the Pharisees of the time is that they had built this fence around the law so that we, they wouldn't even approach breaking the law. And, and they, their focus became so much on, on um, fulfilling the letter of the law that they totally lost sight for like the purpose behind that law. Well, as Jesus says, 
um, they were so focused on what was going into them that right. might defile them that they had forgotten that it is what is comes out of you that defiles you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, but but going back, well, I guess going forward in Matthew, uh, the rich young ruler will come to him and ask, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Uh, which again is another legalistic question, like right. what what boxes can I check? Right. And so Jesus perceives that this young man loved his possessions more than anything. Um, you know, as far as if we're checking boxes, uh, what's the spirit behind this is, is like, do you love Lord, the Lord more? Okay. So Jesus perceives that this guy loves possessions more than anything. So he asked him to love God more than his possessions. And, and, and so he says, leave all your possessions and follow me. Uh, it, <clears throat> I hope that none of us read the Bible as legalists and say, well, I guess like if we really want to enter the kingdom of God, um, which uh, again is, is, I guess, a bad way of phrasing it since the kingdom of God is already here. But um, uh, in order to inherit eternal life, like it's not about what boxes you can check. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, uh, and, and of course, Jesus with the rich young ruler had already asked him about kind of the, following the commandments, like, you know, honor your father and mother. Um, well, he like the eager like, student raising his hand, like, ooh, like, ooh, teacher, teacher, I know the answer, right? He's like, I did that. I did all the things. Yeah. And like yeah. a wise teacher sometimes gently says to an eager student, like, you're wishing too hard to parade your knowledge in front of the class. Mm -hmm. In this case, parading his um, right righteousness, right, before right. others, um, says, um, in Matthew's gospel, it says, if you would be perfect, Mm. Right, implying you say you're perfect. If you would be perfect, go he and said, I, everything. He said, "I fulfilled all these things <laughs> since my youth." Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so a legalist would read that passage and would look for what to do to inherit eternal life, as if this is a transaction. Right. But Jesus is saying none of this matters if you don't value me more than everything else. Put me first. That's the spirit of the law. Um, yes. The text is not calling each of us to give away each earth, earthly possession so that God will give us eternal life as, as some cosmic transaction. It, it's, it's calling each of us to love God authentically without valuing other things above him. And, and that's what we should, take, we should take out of it. And then we see the Pharisees go after Jesus and his disciples for breaking Sabbath regulations by healing on the Sabbath uh, and by plucking the heads off of grain on the Sabbath. And that's what you're talking about. Uh, Kirk, as far as like, that's where they get into the, in Ma the book of Matthew, the, the, uh, Jesus talks about what it's, what, um, goes in that, that defiles you. I'm sorry. It's what comes out that defiles yes, you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and Jesus like, he's like, you guys have got it all wrong. The Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning that God established the Sabbath as a day of rest and worship as a pattern that's good for us. So breaking the Sabbath to get a little bit of nourishment isn't a big deal since the Sabbath was designed for humans. Not that, like, God loves people, not days. Right. <laughs> not days. That's, 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 you know, are you, and, and the fact that the Pharisees were opposing healing on the Sabbath is, is wildly, like, losing sight of the forest for the trees, right? right. Evidence that they had lost the plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think that God loves Saturday more than comforting the afflicted? <laughs> If so, then you really don't know God. So, so um, obviously we go on and on, but but let's uh, let's let's briefly uh, peek at uh, Matthew 15, which we could talk about a few weeks ago about what defiles a person. Um, the Pharisees point out that his disciples don't wash their hands before they ate, and Jesus says um, that while the Pharisees are are careful to obey the letter of the law, they totally miss 
the spirit of the law, that they are supposed to honor their fathers and mothers, and they do so only technically, uh, in the sense that they stretch um, rabbinic teaching so that like the law will justify their own actions um, for what they do. Um, they don't actually care for their for their parents. They live high in the hog um, as the most privileged member of, of society, while their parents kind of suffer. And 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 but like it, like their lawyers would be like, no, you're you're good. Which, which is totally missing, uh, like what the law is, is trying to convey. So, um, and, uh, so I, I talked about, uh, building a fence, uh, around the law. Um, and so they, they even did this with, with forgiveness. Uh, and, and so I, that's probably what Peter has in mind with this question. Um, when he says seven, because I think there was some rabbinic teaching that was like, forgive three times. So, so maybe like the fence around that would be like maybe six times. And, and Peter goes on and gives the, the number of perfection, uh, seven, you know, this biblical number of perfection. Uh, and he's like, uh, maybe seven times, probably thinking that seven times of forgiveness would be uh, unbelievably extravagant and generous. And, and so I guess the way I would describe this, this, this fence around the law, um, if, if you're an engineer and you are supposed to build a bridge that's supposed to handle 200 tons, you're not going to build it to handle 200 tons, you know, so that like one pound over that or, or one ton over that would collapse the bridge. You're going to build it so it can handle 400 tons. And that's, and that's what they did. So, so you, you just want to make sure you're good. Uh, that, that uh, so if, if the law says forgive three times, you might do double. So, uh, what I'm trying to point out is that the problem in today's gospel passage is the question itself. Peter thinks he's being generous by suggesting that he forgive his brother seven times. But here's the thing about legalism, Kirk. Okay. It's, it's empty. Yes. Anyone who is counting the times he forgives a brother is not actually forgiving. What you're doing is you're simply biding your time. Like that's oh. not, that's not forgiveness. So Jesus responds that you must forgive your brother, not seven times, but 77 times. Or uh, the way the Greek numbers work, it might actually be 490 times. It's, it could be either. The, the number isn't actually that important. It could be read either 77 or 490 or seven times 70. The point is that you don't count how many times you've forgiven someone. You keep forgiving. So uh, point of clarification here. Are we to make ourselves doormats? Do no. we let people take advantage of us? Well, we, the, have, we have read earlier in Matthew um, uh, that when, when you are struck, turn the other cheek. Someone asks huh. for your cloak, give him your, give him your coat as well. Um, so, sure. provocative sure. question, sure. Christopher. Provocative, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would say no, that Jesus is not calling us um, because uh, this could be used to justify calling um, pastorally um, people to remain in abusive situations. Right. Right. Does Jesus call us to remain in abusive situations, constantly forgiving and, and, and not doing anything to protect ourselves? I, I don't think so. Um, if someone continues to borrow money from you without ever paying you back, it's, and it's clear that they're using it irresponsibly, it's fine for you to refuse to lend them money. It's fine for you to separate yourself from people who would take advantage of you. But you have to forgive them. Hmm. So it doesn't mean that you need to endure abuse forever. You can, take, you can remove yourself from that situation, but you have to forgive them. 
because how do we pray the Lord's prayer? We say, forgive us our trespasses Mm -hmm. as we forgive those who trespass against us. And uh, so Jesus, uh, just as a point of clarification, tells this parable saying you can't have one without the other. The God's forgiveness isn't extended to you if you refuse to forgive others, which is kind of a, a, a shocking teaching that the God's forgiveness is, is infinite, but it does hinge on us forgiving others. Um, and that's what this parable is. So uh, again, in this parable that he tells, we throw out the numbers. And this is one of those situations where not understanding the finances here discussed here means that a lot is, is lost in translation. So there's a king yeah. who is settling accounts with a servant and discovers that this guy owes him 10,000 talents. Hey, Christopher, like, do, you, do, you have, do you have the, the, uh, the monetary translations up? Because I, I, uh, I looked them up and I have them up. Would you like to know? Okay, well, here's here's what I was gonna say is okay. um, let's bring our minds back to Austin Powers. So yes, do, yes. <laughs> do, you, do you remember in the first movie where uh, Austin, you know, uh, Doctor Evil has been frozen and he wakes up in modern day and he asks uh, for a ransom of a hundred million dollars, right? And they laugh at him because it is such a pitifully small thing. So he says, okay, fine, a hundred billion dollars. They're like, okay, well, that's that's a real ransom. Well, in the second movie, he goes back in time. Right. And asks in like the 1960s, he asks for a hundred billion dollars. And, and do you remember what happens? They laugh, laugh, they laugh. They're like, there's not that much money in the world. <laughs> right. That's kind of like what's going on here with, with 10,000 talents. It's, it's like asking for $11 billion. You know, it's, it's like asking for a hundred billion dollars uh, in, in the sixties. This is uh, essentially unimaginable. The, the total annual tax revenue for all of Herod's territories was 900 talents a year. Um, and so 10,000 talents, I, I was trying to think of, uh, I think uh, Caesar tried to tax maybe the entire territory um, of, of maybe 10,000 talents a year, but removed that tax because it was just too onerous. Right. So this, this is supposed to be a comically large amount of money. Uh, it's, um, so it's about 200,000 years worth of salary, <laughs> the average Judean. Okay. That's that's yeah. how it translates. If you if you think of one denarius as kind of a, a typical worker's wage, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that yeah. that was my math. <laughs> yeah. So so the idea it's laugh out loud funny, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this king is about to exact justice on this servant who, um, again, this is this is not supposed to be a realistic amount. No no king would have this amount of money money, let alone like this would be uh, an amount you're able to embezzle or somehow fritter away. Uh, so, but the idea is that this servant could never repay this, right? But justice would be to lock him up in his family in debtor's prison for them to spend the rest of their days uh, at least uh, paying a portion, a tiny portion of the debt. But the servant falls on his knees and begs for forgiveness. And the king takes pity on him and cancels his debt. So um, the servant who has just received forgiveness beyond all measure. hmm leaves and immediately finds a fellow servant who owes him a and the, here's the thing is it's not a trifling sum it's like three so, months wages yeah this would be about three months wages it's not a small sum but it is insignificant compared to what he owed and instead of having mercy on him he throws him in prison until he repays the debt so the imagery is obvious uh when the king finds out that the person who received infinite mercy mercy is unmerciful, he throws him in jail to be tortured. So 
here's here, here here's my conclusion and then i'll just totally hand it over to you <laughs> jesus does not pretend that forgiveness is easy he doesn't say that the one guy was forgiven 11 billion dollars and and would would forgive uh and, and refuses to forgive half a penny to the other guy no three months wages is 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 significant for anyone who's had to save up for an engagement ring uh, what is that it's supposed to be two months wages supposedly supposedly <laughs> yeah supposedly but like who can afford that right, right like right. who is that you know who could say put it aside that um as a as a um as a token of your love for uh the love of your life who can do that let alone forgive three months wages uh so so this is not insignificant um it's legitimately hard for us to forgive the wrong done to us but it is much easier to do that knowing that you and I are beneficiaries of infinite grace, of grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you, Christopher. Well said. Well said. Uh, as, as for my thoughts on the matter, uh, we, we often here at Haber Bros, um, we, we love the fathers, we love the reformers. Um, sometimes we'll uh, cite... Um, St. Augustine or Gregory of Nyssa or Martin Luther or Thomas Cranmer or John Jewell. Um, but today I'm just, I want to offer a very personal reflection because this is a haunting parable to me. Um, and I've often noted that um, when listening to good preachers, uh, good subtle pastoral preachers will point out that when you're reading a parable, be, be, be careful that you're identifying with the mm. person in the parable that Jesus <laughs> intended you to be right so the one of the great examples of this is uh the the, the prodigal son where uh mm. so many of us identify with the the older brother and um and hillary clinton famously identifying with the older brother and you almost sympathize with her as she as she said that publicly um almost speaking painfully openly about her marriage um but but and good pastors have pointed out, no, 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 you're not the older brother. <laughs> you ran away from the father with the inheritance. Uh, um, in this, in this, I, uh, it's it's painfully clear who I am. <laughs> I am the one who has been forgiven much, and then am constantly exacting immediate payment for trifling sins mm. um, to the others that are around me. And this is this is haunting to me, um, because. Uh, Matthew's gospel is always good for a bracing bucket of cold water of judgment. <laughs> um, you know when you have sinned when you read uh, St. Matthew's gospel. Wouldn't you say, Christopher? It's not, yeah. it's not sometimes unclear, like, ah, am I okay? Am I okay? Um, it, it is clear that when we do not forgive, we grieve our Lord's heart. Um, mm. There is judgment um, that is waiting if we are not, are not penitent um, about this. I, uh, I, I constantly, um, being a parent, um, presses, I think, your face up against the glass in this regard. Um, of course, I have been forgiven more than I can possibly ever forgive, been, be forgiven. I have been adopted as a son of the high king, and um, a, 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 a palace is waiting for me. Um, I've been baptized in his name, and yet on a daily basis, even as a father who I don't deserve has adopted me with my own natural children, I snap. And I'm unforgiving, I'm told. <laughs> and um, 
that's uh, it's a hard thing. And so this is a good lesson and a good reminder. And I, I pray that my heart is shaped by this. And I am, my heart is softened. <laughs> and my heart of stone becomes a forgiving heart mm. and that, I, that, I, that I learn to forgive. And this, is, this, is, this reminds me of a larger Christian concept, which is the way that we are sanctified, the way that we are made holy, the way that we are changed, uh, there's, it, it, it flows um, from the Father through the Son to us, and that we will never become the people that we ought to be, except that we are loved and forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, there's the, this great uh, kind of memory Bible verse that many of us have been taught. This is love. Not that we love God, like from 1 John, I think it's 1 John 4, 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation of our sins. Uh, it is Christ's love of us, our forgiveness of us, that allows our hearts to be changed. And then, conversely, I think, opens opens up the possibility that we might be change agents in the lives of those around us. And the way that we change the lives of those around us isn't by going to work on them and chiseling them and, and uh, trying to remake them in, in our image, um, but it's as in this parable, by forgiving them as we've been forgiven. Um, and Christopher, thank you for pointing it out. That this is um, in, in the heart of the Lord's prayer. Like, uh, Lord, forgive us. Uh, and, just as you have reminded us that we are to daily forgive all those around us. Um, and so our life, our daily walk as Christians, isn't it, of being forgiven ones who, because we have been forgiven, are set free to forgive others? Um, yeah, yeah, to... we're set free to, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we are reminded to. And, and we talk about um, being liturgical people, and, and one of the important things about that is that uh, our liturgy forms us, the, you know, the way we pray forms us. And so as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are reminded that even as we seek forgiveness, uh, we are called uh, to forgive. Uh, and so as, as little Christs, that's, I, you, you may quibble with mm. um, the etymology of the word Christian, but it's often been quipped that, um, that if you dig into the etymology of Christian, it means little Christs, um, that we, we in some ways should pray to um, that their character is formed and shaped um, to be to be molded into his image uh, very very imperfectly but that that is that is our calling and uh, his character is one of eternal mercy how do we know this um, listener I direct you to Psalm 136 <laughs> which is 27 verses long and half of each verse the latter half of each verse goes like this for his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> right? Christopher, it's oh, a great song, so right? Oh, give yes. thanks unto the Lord, for he is gracious. For his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of all gods, for his mercy endureth forever. And so mm. it proceeds, right? Mm. So we know the character of our Lord. It is one whose mercy endures forever. And so if that's, that is the character of our King, of our Lord, of our Savior, one whose mercy endures forever, um, then that's the character that we should pray that we're being shaped into. Mm. Yeah, uh, and I have one more thing, and then we can close unless you have other things you want to mention. Uh, you, you talked about this heart of stone, you know, which uh, is a reference to Ezekiel chapter 36, and I love, I love uh, this passage. Uh, Ezekiel 36, I'll start reading at 26 verse 26. And I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Uh, the good news is that the Lord promised to replace our heart of stone with the heart of flesh, and, and that's a, a wonderful promise that we can, Kirk, that is something we can take to the bank. That's something we can hope for in the biblical sense, in, in the sense that uh, a firm expectation, that this is something that the Lord um, is doing. Amen. Shall we move on to our, uh, our theology segment? Let's do it. Last week for our theology segment, we looked at the office of morning prayer, and we want occasionally to go through the offices in our theology segment uh, of the church. And uh, the first two, the two most common, we said were morning prayer and evening prayer. We gave you a little bit of background on morning prayer. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it, uh, because we're not, we're not going to uh, retread a lot of that ground. Um, because uh, many of you have listened, and uh, that, that would be, it'd be just redundant. Um, so oh, we wanted what, what to- What Kirk talk. is saying is, 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 is uh, were we to go through the liturgy piece by piece, it's very similar to morning prayer, but with different canticles and um, different collects. Uh, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, even, but, and even the background of like, why morning and evening prayer? Like, you know, why, why is this something that we do? Um, we're not going to retread that ground. Yeah, so let's just say this. And then, and then I'll stop throat clearing and dive into the good stuff. Um, if you did not listen to last week's episode, pause and go back to last week's episode and, and, and listen to the theology segment or segment in the middle on evening prayer. And it'll help make sense of what we're going to talk about um, here to come. Listener, um, get, this is just the beginning. Get ready for us to tell you what to do because, um, you know, <laughs> pause now. Okay, now play. 
Now pause again. Okay. All right. So, so Kirk. I didn't say Simon says. Did that mean <laughs> I have to do it? Yeah. So evening prayer. We said last week that morning prayer and evening prayer was a decision by the magisterial reformers of the English church in the 1540s with the Book of Common Prayer in 1549, which has shaped 90% of English-speaking Christendom since then. And in, the, in Anglican prayer books, it's still, it still, it resounds loudly in the background and informs the offices of morning and evening prayer ever since. Evening prayer was collapsing of, I believe, two, the last two offices, Vespers and Compline, into one office. Uh, and it was practically done so that could, people before dinner could go to, go, either go to church, um, where it would be prayed at church, or even at home at their dinner tables. This was encouraged, and this became um, a lovely pattern in households. If you read Jane Austen novels, uh, they'll, they'll be passing comments all the time to the head of the household leading morning prayer or leading evening prayer um, or, and, and summoning the servants for evening prayer. This was done all the time. And uh, so in your and, life, go ahead. Well, and, and just in, in essence, what it was is, is a simplification of, of the liturgy of the hours saying that, that uh, your common person uh, who is, who is not a uh, religious monk or, or uh, so somebody who is uh, dedicated uh, to praying every three hours all day. Um, the, 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 that's just uh, maybe too much to ask each Christian to do. And, and to simplify that, to say, uh, let's pray in the morning and let's pray in the evening. And, and, and th there's a, uh, a beautiful value in that. It, like that's doable. Like very few of us get up and, and spend 25 minutes uh, going through a liturgy. Um, yeah, three, three exactly. The, and it and, and made prayer less professional. But this is something, uh, a big part of the English Reformation was returning the worship to the people. Yes. To saying, this is not something we farm out to the professionals, that those people in monasteries, they do our praying for us. Uh, and, and I say this because um, one of the biggest things that the English Reformation did was put the language of, of church services, of the liturgy, in, in the vernacular to, to say this is something that for the common person to show up and to be able to participate in because it's in English. Amen. And, uh, and the English Reformation right now is getting a lot of grief, even within Anglicanism, for the uh, disestablishment of the, the monasteries. And unless you really go back and you look at precisely what you're saying, Christopher, it's hard to get into the head of why was this why was so much smashed and destroyed? You can easily do walking tours of England, and um, and uh, you and I have seen smashed monasteries. Tintern Abbey um, is beautiful on the Severn River near the Welsh border, and and there are lots of others. Anyone who's ever been in England, Wales, Scotland will see ruins of beautiful monasteries that were destroyed. Um, the equivalent now of hundreds of billions of dollars that was um, seized by the the crown, and it, it just seems like mere vandalism now, and. Uh, and, and just be careful when you're making that, that judgment. Um, remember the context. Remember that the hours, the liturgy of the hours, had been totally professionalized. And, and really, people were not praying morning, evening prayer, or, or any of the other hours. So let's talk about evening prayer. Everything that we said about morning prayer last week applies, except two different things are different. And these are important things, and they shape the character of evening prayer in a different way than morning prayer, Christopher. And I would say profoundly. Uh, and the first thing is 
the canticles. And that is the scriptural song of praise that, is, uh, that, that we say after each lesson. And then um, lastly, the, the two collects for the evening. Um, and that comes near the end. And we'll talk about those. But let's talk about the canticles first. Mm. Um, after the Old Testament lesson comes one of my favorite canticles and just praying evening prayer on my own and listening to recordings of Evensong and attending Evensong has made this um, sort of one of my anthems in my life. Christopher, what is this first canticle in evening prayer? Well, do you want me to say it in Latin or in English? <laughs> well, since, since we're emphasizing the importance of... of Magnificat the, anima mea. <laughs> in, in the language of the people um, uh, is, is the, uh, the Song of Mary. Yes. Yes. And this is although, from... Although you have, you have skipped over the, um, the Oh, Gladsome Light. Yeah. Should we say a word about that? Yeah. Because that's, um, that, that comes before the Psalms. And um, that is a, a, a canticle um, that's unique to this office. Yes. Uh, my understanding, I, I, I'm listener. I'm open to, uh, to um, being rebuked on this. <laughs> I believe that uh, the prayer book put this in, this was a, a gust of wind from the East, right? Um, a, a lot of the English reformers were fascinated by orthodoxy. Uh, the the, the uh, medieval Catholic church didn't really know what was going on in Constantinople in the Greek and Russian church. And during the Renaissance, there was a, a lot of fruitful cross-pollination for the first time. And there was a lot of fascination with the Orthodox church. And this is a canticle from the Greek church. Am I correct? I mean, Fosalaron, that's, that's Greek, right? So that's my understanding. If, if I got the history wrong, Christopher or listener, please, please, please tell me that. But I believe that this is a Greek hymn. And uh, we, we pray this really, you're right, Christopher, at, at the beginning. And it's, it's so short that, that we, can, we can just say yeah. it. Oh, gladsome light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven. Oh, Jesus Christ, holy and blessed. Now as we come to the setting of the sun, and our eyes behold the vesper light. We sing your praises, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the worlds. It's nice and short and lovely. And I'll actually, at the very end to, um, of this podcast, Christopher, I'll include uh, one of my favorite settings of this. Um, it's by Charles Wood, an Anglo-Irish composer. It's one of my favorite. And the, it'll be the translation is by John Keeble, one of my favorite. Uh, I think Oxford. we've used it before, haven't I we? Have. Yeah, yes, yeah, I have. Yes, I have. It's it's so good. It, isn't Hail it lovely? Gladdening, Hail Gladdening Light. Hail Gladdening Light. Yep. Yeah, love yep. it. And, and so, so it, I think it's worth saying that, that um, when you do this devotionally on your own or with your family, it's, it, it is customary to say these canticles. But when you do it corporately um, in a church, uh, it is just as common to, to, to sing these. And so there are multiple settings for each of these canticles, whether it's um, Oh, Gladsome Light or whether it's, it's the Song of Mary or the Magnificat. Yeah. Um, so in our so parish, we, that, yeah. yeah, in our parish, we have two settings of uh, the Oh, Gladsome Light. Um, we do a plain song during Lent and Advent to simplify it where we, uh, um, w without harmony, really. And um, it's actually, you know the tune, Christopher. Da, 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 da. Yeah, but anyhow, and we do that, and then we do something more there's harmonic. There's also the, ta there's, uh, isn't the Talus Canon? Um, you could do it to that too, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
and then we do something more fleshed out um, in during non-penitential seasons. That's right. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry to ruin your momentum on the Magnificat. Yes, because, I was building because, up to the Magnificat. I, t- I too love uh, the Magnificat. It is. It is. And when we talked about. Um, uh, we, I think we've mentioned it several times, but especially, especially when we talked about Mary and just Mary's faith and, and how she is an example to us all. And, and for that for that reason uh, alone, among others, um, this is a good thing for us to, to um, pray and sing regularly. Yeah, I, I would say I, I have this quirky conspiracy theory. Not, it's not conspiracy theory. I have this fun theory, this fond piety that I have, um, which is that uh, Luke, we know that Luke visited Ephesus um, because John was there um, caring for Mary, um, following uh, Jesus' wish at, at the foot of the cross. Um, uh, mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Uh, and and I, I, I'm convinced that Luke, who had gone through Ephesus, had a chance to talk to Mary. Mm. Um, and how else would, would Luke, of, of the other synoptic gospels, include these wonderful passages uh, right. in the first chapter, right? The meeting with Elizabeth, um, and uh, and we and we get particularly um, insights into her psychology um, in in chapter two. She pondered uh, and, these things in her heart. <laughs> yeah, she pondered these things in her heart. Right? How how does Luke know that? Mary had to tell him, right? So. Mm. So imagine Luke furiously with, with papyrus and quill or whatever, right? Um, writing down as she's, as she's telling him, uh, I met Elizabeth and, and, and I, I, immediately there was this electricity and we both knew and we embraced. And I, I don't know what came over me, but I sang this song. And mm-hmm. Michael Horton has made this point, Christopher. Have you heard Michael Horton make this point? Very movingly so. and eloquently. Um, just of the bit of biblical literacy of working class Galileans in first century, in first century Judea, that what does she do when she's um, has this moment of rejoicing? Uh, The Magnificat is this weaving to this tapestry of, of Psalms and Mm. other sections. We see the song of Anna in uh, certainly in here, right? When Anna realizes that she is with child um, after, after praying ceaselessly at the temple, right? In the book Anna, of first- Anna or Hannah? Hannah, Hannah I'm sorry. Book of yeah, Hannah. Yeah, it, Hannah in first Samuel. The, the mother of Samuel, yeah. Yep, that's right. That's right. Um, you see certainly in, in Hannah's song, you see this. So, so Mary certainly had Hannah's song in her mind and then the Psalms. And what comes, what comes out is this beautiful thing. Um, and, uh, and I'll just read it briefly, listener, because it's, it's just that good. And before you read it, let, let, let me point out, um, just we haven't mentioned this. This comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Yeah. So, if, so we've gotten this far without saying like, this, where, where this comes from, but that's where it comes from. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he that is mighty has magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him throughout all generations. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the humble and meek. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, has helped his servant Israel, 
as he promised to our fathers, Abraham and his seed forever. And as we pointed out last week, Christopher, how do we end the Magnificat? With the Gloria Patri. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Kirk, I, I love, I just love, uh, this is such good news for the downtrodden. Yes. Oh my goodness. He has he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble and meek. He has filled the hungry with good things. Um, I, I, I love that. I love that. It's, it's good news um, for the downtrodden, for, for, for the depressed, for the sad, for the, for the literally poor, for the, for the abused. Um, Jesus is good news for those who are suffering. Mm, amen. Amen. And I, I, I've said this before, uh, the liturgy is children's church. You want your children to memorize scripture, I promise you, bring them to a liturgical church. My, all of my kids, if you ask them right now, say the Magnificat, bam. <laughs> it just mm -hmm. flow out of them like, like, a, like a cow giving milk. Um, it's, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful. And I don't say that boasting. I didn't do it. I didn't write the prayer book. <laughs> I didn't put it there. But if you pray evening prayer, it, it's formative and, and, and it does this. Um, uh, also, there's a, just, this is speaking to just a tiny splintered portion of our <laughs> listenership. But there's, a, there's, there's this great tradition of setting this um, really difficult text <laughs> to music because it's not metrical. Um, in, uh, in English church music. And there are so many lovely settings of this that immediately, uh, I, I have trouble saying this. My mind, in my mind, I'm, I'm singing this and I have a half a dozen different hmm. settings that I love that immediately leap to mind. I'm also grateful for Christopher, our current prayer book, which when they updated the language, did you, did you notice they so carefully hewed to the 1662 mm. so that it's not a jarring disconnect to those old mm. choral settings? Mm. Just small things are changed, right? Uh, small things. Uh, and his mercy is on them that fear him is the old 1662. And we've updated to, and his mercy is on those who fear him, right? Just small things. Instead of he hath hope in his servant Israel, he has helped his servant Israel. Like if they're words that legitimately have gone out of usage. Um, but other than that, it's pretty faithful. So if you listen to Coral Evensong at any place where it's sung to, to any of the old historic settings, you'll track with it if you use our current care prayer book. And I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Christopher, any further thoughts on the Magnificat before we look at the Song of Simeon? So after, after, the, uh, the, after the Magnificat comes the New Testament lesson. Uh, oddly, not oddly, just a fun, by fun happenstance, tonight the New Testament lesson is, is, is in Matthew as well. The daily lectionary is working its way through Matthew in the evenings in, in our Book of Common Prayer, the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. And then comes the Song of Simeon, which, ladies and gentlemen, if you have trouble memorizing longer canticles, I have good news for you. Because this one's like two verses. <laughs> and it, uh, it's three. Uh, Luke 2.29 <laughs> through 32. Yeah, yeah. Um, Christopher, I've our listeners have been in have been um, assaulted by my voice. Would, would, you, uh, would you read the Song of Simeon for us? Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people to be a light to lighten the Gentiles 
and to be the glory of your people Israel. And then comes glory be to the Father yes. and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And Christopher, what's the context of this in Scripture? Mm. Simeon had been promised. Simeon had been promised uh, that he would not die until he saw the Messiah, uh, and being presented this drooling little baby, <laughs> um, God somehow revealed to him that he had seen the salvation of his people, um, and, and the promise. And, and and you know Christ hadn't yet gone to the cross, hadn't been resurrected. Um, but just in in the incarnation, and, and Simeon hadn't been catechized yet in in like what again G, the, the disciples who walked with Jesus for for years still didn't get it. <laughs> um, at at even um, at the end of the gospel, some of them still didn't get it. And uh, uh, here, this 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 uh, old man Simeon, um, a faithful man, a faithful a righteous man, he is described as in in the book of Luke. Um, and uh, I've heard, uh, I, I've heard uh, si- uh, Simeon and and uh, this whole passage preached about powerfully. It's interesting. It, it, it can seem like a very small thing to us for um, a righteous man um, to uh, to be able to see his own salvation. Um, it can seem like something easy to pass over because um, we have other favorite parts of, of scripture. But um, this this is uh, is a beautiful thing to ponder. Yeah. And isn't it lovely, Christopher, that this comes in evening prayer as our day is ending, or at least our labors are ended, mm-hmm. right? Whether you pray evening prayer before or after dinner, um, now let your servant depart in peace. Um, it it, it uh, brings to mind the sense that as Christians, as we go to sleep, we are in some ways practicing for our Christian death, mm. right? We, um, we lay down our labors and we give ourselves to the Lord. Um, as a miniature practice for our ultimate laying down of our labors and our giving ourselves fully and finally to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then come the creed and the prayers. And we covered all that last week. And then we get to the, the collects for evening prayer, which, um, which are uniquely lovely to me as well. Um, and, and again, to, to touch on what the word collect means, um, a collect is a fancy prayer book word for collecting up all our prayers and, and um, all of our prayers. It, it collects them all up in, in, in one prayer that is usually said by the officiant. Sometimes the officiant will bid everyone to pray it together, but it's, it's, it's binding them all up in one really tight, theologically snug uh, summary in prayer. And uh, there are two collects for evening prayer. Um, you'll pray first the collect of the day, uh, and we'll pray that together tonight. Uh, not tonight. We'll pray that together at the end of, uh, of our, our podcast. And then, listener, you may recognize these two collects because we often, most frequently, pray these at the end of our podcast. The first one is the collect for peace. Oh God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that we being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And I want to point out two things about that that, that continue to strike me and shape the way I pray, Christopher. Um, and that is, that is first, um, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give. We're looking for reassurance in the wrong place if we look for reassurance 
or deep peace um, anywhere other than the Lord, uh, right. somewhere in the world. And then the other thing is, what, notice that what we're being promised to be defended from, Christopher, being defended from the fear of our enemies, mm. not fully from our enemies. Um, but as we read in the Psalms, the Psalms are honest that sometimes our enemies triumph <laughs> and sometimes we're brought low, but our God can deliver us from the fear of our enemies. And I mentioned to you before um, the great mantra from Dune, the religion of the Bene Gesserit, uh, um, a fear is the mind killer, right? Fear is the mind killer. There's overlap with Christianity there, right? Fear is the mind killer. What can our Lord deliver us from? Maybe not fully our enemies, but certainly from the fear of them. They don't have to live in our heads, right? <laughs> Um, and then lastly, uh, the collect for aid from perils. Um, light, this one is so, so short and pithy. It gets right to the point. Do you notice that, Christopher? Yeah. Um, Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And those are the differences between morning and evening prayer. Thoughts, Christopher? Well, I, I just love that that last one. Um, it's it's and and I hope that people have, have kind of captured the theme of, of evening prayer from the uh, Song of Simeon uh, through the Collex, uh, and and just what night was. Night was a terrifying thing mm -hmm. um, in in the Middle Ages, and um, it, you know it's less terrifying. We have lights, we have uh, police that that keep us safe. I mean, people used to. Uh, when it got dark um, and candles were expensive, used to yeah. just really batten down the hatches, you know, <laughs> lock up the house and remain indoors and um, until, until the light. And, um, and, and, and to, uh, I mean, those people uh, spiritually were far more blessed than us who take, we insure ourselves, we over-insure ourselves and we, right. uh, we plan for the future. We have a 401k, we drive a Dodge Stratus. We 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 think that we are in control of our lives, and we are under the delusion that we are in control of our lives. When in fact, there's so much that's far beyond our control. And um and, and these people who who wrote these prayers and prayed these prayers knew better than we do, um the perils outside and and and, and uh, uh th that that for them was a spiritually uh they were much more spiritually mature in that way than than we are sometimes in just acknowledging um at how we survive on, on God's providence. Yeah. So I'd say listener again, I'll share in the show notes, um, uh, the, the link to a great, um, app that, that, uh, that sets all this up stuff up for you. So if, even if you don't have a prayer book, it doesn't matter. Tap on the app. The settings are all there. It'll send you, you can, it, it'll send you to the proper office for the, if you tap is on the it app. The morning, it'll bring you to the morning yep, prayer. That's right. Is it evening? And it'll insert the, the readings, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It does all the work for you. Christopher, shall we move on to culture? Let's do it.
So this may be, we'll, uh, we'll see. <laughs> this may be one of our <laughs> controversial segments uh, because we Ooh, are going exciting. to discuss the movie Mulan, which I know that some of our listeners really like, and I don't want to rain on anyone's parade um, by, uh, with, with my uh, kind of thoughts on it, but, um, but I do have thoughts. So, so we, uh, we, both of our families, we watched it. This is the new Disney movie that was supposed to be a, a blockbuster in theaters, but because of COVID, uh, they released um, not in theaters. Uh, Disney was banking on this being a big, um, <laughs> big movie for them financially. And uh, so before we actually get um, to the film itself, uh, I want to talk just a little bit about uh, kind of the issues surrounding the movies and, and yes. kind of some of the controversy that's been kicked up. And I'm kind of glad that this controversy was kicked up. Um, because uh, the reality is, is that the, the current uh, government of China is an unjust government. It's authoritarian. It disappears people. It uh, uh, persecutes. Um, uh, so, so the, the government is, 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 uh, is Han, which is an ethnic group yep. in China that's made up of Many, 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 many ethnic groups. Uh, one, one of those ethnic groups, which is not the majority in China, but it's just one of many, um, holds all the power. And, um, and in this kind of multi-ethnic state... And, it, and um, it's geographically centered around the capital, Beijing, yeah. um, which is kind of not all the way in the Northeast, but sort of like north, central Northeast. Yeah. So we're not yeah. talking about Hong Kong or Shanghai or all those megalopolises in the southeast along the uh, the along the yeah. Pacific coast. Yeah, and and so the people of Hong Kong right now are terrified. Um, they're scared about um, seeing what the police are doing, and uh, they're they're scared for their future. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a, a people group called the Uyghurs. There's a uh, it, more than a million of. Uh, Actually, I don't know how many there are. There are a million that are in a concentration camp. Uh, and if you've seen video footage of it, it's terrifying. They are being loaded up on train cars. They are, uh, it, it looks like um, uh, kind of Nazis and, and, and Jews. Uh, Which is proof that when people said never again, no right. one actually ever means never again. Because that would actually it's, mean it's, war. It's, yeah. it's chilling. And it's really unfortunate how our country... Has has kind of kowtowed, um, and I mean that uh, <laughs> literally. No, not not literally, but like, um, so so kowtowing. Um, there is kowtowing in in uh, kowtowing is is not just like a, a figurative term. Like um, right. in right. the movie, there's there's actual kowtowing. It is yes. bowing um, to kind of uh, affirm the, the superiority of yeah. It's of the traditional else. Chinese bow where your head uh, you prostrate yourself and your head touches the ground. That's right. And so we see in the movie um, people kowtow to the emperor because the you know the emperor is 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 um you know thought to be very much worthy of of bowing to in in the representative in, of heaven yeah 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 so um, we as a culture have kowtowed to the Chinese um, for the sake of money and so so I don't, I don't want to be uh, it has nothing to do with with race or ethnicity that, that my issues with china it's purely with the authoritarianism of their government so i, I just want to be clear about that so we, we saw this first when uh, uh, daryl morey a name that that not many people know but uh, he's the general manager of the houston rockets uh, was that about a year ago kirk where he it, tweeted, it i think it only feels like it <laughs> 
<laughs> because 2020. Uh, yes. But he, he tweeted like some tepid support of Hong Kong protesters. And the, the kickback uh, was swift. And the way the Chinese work is, is um, uh, if you, uh, you pay to play. And so if you want to play in China, um, you play by their rules. So if the NBA is going to exist in China, um, they demanded that he be fired. And actually, basketball is hugely popular in China. You may not know yeah. that if you're not a basketball fan, but it's a big deal. And the NBA has been very, working very hard, very carefully to cultivate that as a market. And they make a lot of money in China. Yeah, yeah. And LeBron James, um, when, when Space Jam comes out, he wants to make a lot of money. He wants that movie to come out in. Uh, so, so when uh, LeBron James, kind of social justice um, uh, advocate, LeBron James had a chance to to comment on this, he passed. He said, no, you know, basically, actually kind of the opposite. He said, uh, actually, it's more complicated than Daryl Morey. He just doesn't understand, you know, the, the complicated. No, like we stand for freedom um, in, in a lot of ways, for the freedom of Hong Kong, um, for the freedom of people everywhere. Because as Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Uh, we, we want... Um, we want to stand up for those who are being persecuted by police in America. People who are being shot multiple times um, in the back. Like we, we want to stand for the little guy in America, but also we care about like injustice overseas too, for the people in Hong Kong, for the Uyghurs. Um, this matters. And, and so this is a really long winded way of, of getting to the idea that, that the Chinese um, is uh, Chinese culture is, is officially censorious. Like, um, they only release so many movies a year. I don't remember the, the exact number, um, but Hollywood generally now uh, Quentin Tarantino is one yes. exception to this. Yes, where he was good on him. He was demanded that he, that he revise Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, to kind of because they didn't like the portrayal of, of Bruce Lee, um, <laughs> and and he said no, like this is my this is my art, and like I'm not gonna recut it. Was that because Brad gonna... Pitt kicks his butt? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and maybe for a lot of reasons, maybe, maybe Bruce Lee was too cocky. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, right. but, um, but, but like we believe in art for art's sake and you can pay, you could buy a ticket. You could not buy a ticket, but like an artist is allowed to produce art. But what, what, what stinks is that, um, art, that Hollywood 99% of the time self censors. Um, so you, I mean, be sure to never mention Taiwan in your yeah. movies. Be sure, uh, as an independent state and not just part of China, be sure to not mention um, uh, 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 Tibet. Yes. Be sure to be, be sure that the uh, the villains aren't Chinese. Um, so if, if there's an existing work, a book, or something that's being adapted into a film, if the villains are Chinese, um, Hollywood will self censor and make. <laughs> and and so there are even movies like uh, uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, the director of Last Jedi, and and um, Knives Out. Knives Out. Um, he made a movie called Looper um, that not only self-censored, um, but, but uh, changed the scripts to include praise of China where they're like, <laughs> so it's a time traveling movie and they're like, China's the future and like China's going to be good. And like, this was not, not only a way to get the movie to play in China, but hoping to in fact make more money in China since it was, it was, um, it was like praising of China officially. And so what, this kind of became a, a bit of a dust up when it, when in the credits, um, the, uh, that Disney credited the po propaganda ministry of China. <laughs> oh, um, no. And so it's, it's just extremely uh, 
sad to me that, that, that our artists don't have the integrity to make the art that they want to make and say, China, take it or leave it. But that, the, that Hollywood is essentially beholden to China um, be, because they want to make, make more money. It's a huge market. And, and so before we even discuss the merits uh, of the movie, um, we just want to have, have this groundwork of like the, the troublesome nature that our artists are self-censoring um, for the sake of, of making a little bit more money. And let me just add a 20-second uh, postscript to that, and, and then I'll let you kind of summarize the movie and its themes. Um, I, I know this bothers me more than it bothers you, but this is the behavior of a bully. Um, mm -hmm. Disney punched down to the state of Georgia and pulled out all filming because of what, the Born Alive Act that Georgia had passed? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and said, we cannot in good conscience film in the, the, uh, the fascist state of Georgia <laughs> and then is happy, happy to film in, was it Xinjiang province? Um, where we know that there are Uyghur concentration camps. We know, like, <laughs> this, is, this is a remake of Schindler's List, live, not fictional, but really happening. And, um, and but no, Georgia's the problem. So in, in any case, I'm sorry. That's, that's, but that's classic bully behavior. Punch down, because what's Georgia going to do to Hollywood, right? But, but kiss up because China can inflict real pain on Disney. Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so now to the movie of, of Mulan. So, so the, 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 mu the animated musical that came out in the 90s was, was just a, a delightful um, movie. Eddie Murphy voiced a, a funny <laughs> character. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's a movie about uh, filial piety, uh of of uh certainly of, of honor culture and, and so to understand uh either movie you have to understand honor culture the sense of of uh of um not just um respecting the elders the dead uh those that came before you but also your living family not only that but also um uh you know her mulan's father would have gone to war though he's uh unable to 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 be much of a warrior, he would have had to gone to war because of honor. Like it would have brought shame to their family for him to not respond to the call to fight. And, and he would have been sliced down in battle without being able to do much to defend himself. So instead Mulan um, leaves home, pretends to be a man um, uh, to protect the honor of the family, though it is dishonoring for a woman to fight and pretend like she's a man. So um, here's what I kind of have, here are my issues with the live action remake that, that we just watched. It is the movie designed by 2020 focus groups. <laughs> so it took a tale of bravery and heroism and filial piety with a side of humor and turned it into a joyless, but pretty movie that upholds the values of its most important constituents. Those being um, the Chinese government, which is okay with you, um, praising honor culture and filial piety um, provided that um, it, it has no kind of critique of, of, of kind of the current government. Um, but uh, the other important constituent is woke identitarianism. Um, so the obstacles that Mulan must overcome are coming to terms with herself, with her identity. Like, who am I? Well, I'm a woman. And, and her problem is that she pretended to be a man. And that was the issue. Uh, uh, so, so, I mean, this, this, we, this is where we are today is, is people are struggling with their identities that like they, their, their, their body may present as one thing. And they're like, well, I feel like something else inside. And, and so really what, where victory is found is in, in finding, finding kind of their, who are they really? Like uh, that, that, that is, 
that is the zeitgeist today. Um, so it, what's interesting is, is Mulan in this movie. So uh, <laughs> I haven't said it yet, but okay, this is going to have major spoilers. So um, Mulan finds an unlikely ally. Oh, wait, wait, time out, time out, time out, time out. I, I, I want to take advantage of the opportunity to just tell people to pause because uh, I like telling people what to do. That's, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Uh, On the other pause. hand, they could go back and watch the 1998 one and not pay the $30 extra and, right. and, and understand 80, 85% of what we're saying. So yeah. go ahead. I was just kidding. But yeah, pause if you don't want spoilers. Um, uh, so uh, Mulan finds an unlikely ally in this witch that is not present in the original version, right? And this, this is someone who's been banished from China because of who she is. And she hasn't come to terms with who she is. Like both of them are not comfortable in their own skin. And, and so their personal journeys are to become more comfortable in their skin. Like that is what they're fighting with. So that's what I mean by it's designed by a focus group, uh, woke identitarianism. And, and, and that is like in direct contrast to the gospel, like the good news of Jesus Christ is that our identity is not found externally. It is not something hidden inside us that we just need to, to get over and just be like, okay, well, I guess I'm a, I'm a this. I'm a, I, deep down, I just, uh, no, like our identity is given to us by Jesus Christ. Amen. But instead, um, uh, so much of, of this movie is about just coming to terms with who, who Mulan is and the witch coming to terms with who she is. Um, and the challenges they must overcome are all internal, having to do with just coming to accept their own chosen identity, while also still upholding Chinese values, which the government likes, um, because we can't um, make a movie without appeasing the Chai Coms. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, so, so, so that's, that's a big issue I have. Uh, another issue I have is, is just like, why does Mulan have superpowers? <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's, it's, the movie is, is, is pretty to look at. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's, yes, uh, yes, it is yeah. are great. And it's kind of cool watching her as a kid, like, um, f you know, have superpowers, like jump off the roof and like somehow like, uh, fly and <laughs> like, it's, um, but like I giving her these superpowers, this ability to dodge arrows or kick arrows in the air into people, um, makes it not a human struggle. Right. And, and so, and so uh, though it's that is pretty, like it, I, I think it took the heart out of the movie. So uh, I've, I've said a lot, so I'm going to uh, pass the baton to you. Okay, so this is, um, this is a side point because this is what, isn't what I want to talk about. But isn't that in, 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 in slight defense of some of, the, some, of the, some of the strange like superhero aspects of it, isn't it a, um, like a hat tip, a nod to this whole genre of Asian film called uh, Wuxia? Which okay, is so that, uh, that I don't know about. So would that yeah. be like what was that crouching tiger? Crouching hidden tiger, hidden dragon. Where they can like right. fly and stuff. Yeah, we're so it, it bends right. the plausible, right? So okay. like right. The, the the warriors are like running up walls, but yeah. not all the way up the walls, just kind of um, uh, matrix style up the walls. Yeah. yeah. Right. So sort of bending but not breaking uh, the the laws of of physics. So I think that's called a uh, wuxia fi fiction. Okay. Um, and so it, it's sort of, it's got one foot in our world and then one foot in kind of X-Men um, style powers, but yeah. And it's, so, and anyhow, that's not what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I, but, but for me, uh, okay, so fine. I'm okay with the other army running up walls, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, um, but Mulan, uh, like the, the, the heart of the, the previous story is, is just like a human struggle of a girl trying to be a warrior, 
Yeah. Um, apart from superpowers and, <laughs> uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of, she uses cleverness and um, she uses that to her advantage, not, you know, kicking arrows yeah. into hearts. You know, she uses gravity, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. I guess I'll just, I'll just bracket it by saying this. I gather from what I've read, because I went down a rabbit hole over this whole, because this is a whole controversy over those action sequences, Christopher, by like fanboys. Uh, I gather that Wuxia is a venerable Asian film genre okay. that yeah. sort of fuses two things that we would recognize in the West, um, kind of chivalry honor culture with uh, martial arts uh, exploits. So these characters are, would be recognizable archetypes that they're honorable to the bitter end and often mm. in tragic ways. Like they're, they have, by honor, they have to do something that, that, that causes them to die or to sacrifice themselves for others. And also they can like jump off a bamboo or what, do you remember the bamboo fight in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Yeah. yeah. So it's like smashing together of something very serious and high and noble. And then something that we would consider sort of like, um, out of out of comic books but uh what i wanted to talk about was just a, a brief interesting defense of a point i think it accidentally made because i agree with you that it was in some ways the lowest form of pandering to our cultural zeitgeist at the moment um woke identitarianism but but in doing so i think i think it and, and then also in pandering to the chinese communist government in trying to exhibit um, Asian values, I, I think it did something accidentally, it signaled something accidentally noble. And let me say what I mean by that. Okay. Um, so yes, it is about identity and she, yeah, she has- so, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. I, I did not like the heart of the original movie is great. And, and while like they did leave the filial piety and in, in the, like, yes, some of that is really good. I love I, that. I, I love that, that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No. I don't, I don't want to say that everything was bad. I don't want to say that. <laughs> Yeah, so you're you're right. Um, it is very much in in the um, in the Disney strain of Tangled and Frozen. It is very much a a, a movie about a woman um, finding her strength and finally saying, "I'm not I'm not going to hide this under a bushel. Like I am stronger than everyone around me, and um, that's just who I am. And actually, everyone around me who's trying to hide my strength." They don't even know what's good for them because they need my strength, right? I mean, that is at the heart of Tangled. That's the heart of Frozen. And that's at the heart of Mulan. And that's, I mean, you and I both have daughters, Christopher. We want our daughters to be, to be strong and not to hide whatever their particular competency is under a bushel because um, strange customs would, would ask them to do that. So I, th I think we, we sort of sympathize broadly with, with all of that. Um, but but uh, where, where woke ident identitarianism comes in these days is... Um, I, I am woman and, and institution X, Y, and Z have, have uh, historically oppressed that and therefore institution X, Y, and Z are evil and need to be destroyed. Um, and what I appreciate is Mulan because it's trying to balance um, the identitarianism with Asian values, um, Mulan doesn't decide to destroy the empire. She doesn't decide to, to decide to destroy her family structure. She doesn't run away from her family, right? She, she, she lives in that tension of submission to her father and her father's wishes and her mother and her mother's wishes. And I actually know these people need my strength to survive and thrive in the current strife. Um, which that is, I think, a word for our present moment when people who have legitimate historical grievances with present day institutions, 
Um, and right now there are voices, powerful political voices that are telling people with certain identities, you have been historically oppressed by institution X, Y, and Z, um, the church, uh, certain political institutions, certain cultural institutions. And a lot of voices now are saying, and therefore burn it down. <laughs> and I really like the, notice Mulan, um, the emperor um, who is literally in one moment, um, helpless, strapped uh, in this scaffold of a building that's being built uh, moments away from plummeting to, to a horrible death. And Mulan kowtows, um, will not look the emperor in the face, even though the emperor needs her and honors, honors the emperor because this is fitting and proper. And, um, and, and, and the emperor um, recognizing that, that he is in Mulan's debt um, then honors her back and calls her a true warrior and asks her to be in his guard. And then what does she say? She says something interesting. Instead of saying her, part of her heart would certainly leap, oh my gosh, I finally get to be in the most elite uh, warrior corps that is, that is in the entire empire. She says, no, first I have to go back and I have to make things right in my village um, in, with my father who I dishonored by stealing his sword and by leaving with my mother whom I humiliated by saying, I'm not going to go to the, the ceremony where, where you're going to choose my, my future husband. I need to go and I need to mend those fences and make that right. And, um, and there is a familial restoration, which we should celebrate as well. So I think all of that Disney falls into accidentally because they're trying to balance uh, um, uh, ticking the Asian values box and balance ticking the identity box, but accidentally signals to the people who are aggrieved, don't smash the things that have oppressed you, um, but, 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 but live in gratitude of uh, flawed institutions that predate you and um, let's reform from within. So what do you think of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I just want to say, um, yeah, cause like the, the, the values of, of honoring one's family is, is, is really a beautiful thing. And I, I do love how, how heroic she is. And so I'll, I'll speak of, of the animated uh, film. I, I don't have the, I don't, I don't know. I was just Googling around to see if I could find the script for the new one, but I'll read kind of the reunion at the end, which is the most beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it yes. really, really uh, hits home for a, a father of, of daughters, who, which is you and me, um, where she, she returns home. Um, she, um, she's a little scared um, knowing that she, uh, she, kind of did something wrong by by sneaking out over the in the cover of night um uh even though it was sacrificial um she knew that her father would would probably not like that and and in in a sense she feared that she brought dishonor to the family and so she approaches her father um she kneels in front of him she says father i brought you the sword of shan yu and the crest of the emperor they're gifts to honor the fa family and her father drops the gifts and he hugs her mm. and he says the greatest gift in honor is having you for a daughter i've missed you so and that scene is so the most beautiful thing um uh it's that, straight like, out of the prodigal son mm, mm. yeah like the these these tokens of like the emperor blah, who cares like <laughs> um it's it's you daughter who are my treasure you know, and so she who feared judgment and um, anger 
um, uh, it, you know, he gives her love and, and um, that, that's just a, such a beautiful thing. And, and it was similar in, in, in the live action remake, but I just didn't have the same sensation um, after the movie I watched um, in that, in that reunion scene as I did in watching the animated. And I'm, I'm not sure if, if you felt the same as that the reunion wasn't as powerful. Right. It was good. The original, it was great and tear jerking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good place to end. Yeah. We've gone super long because <laughs> we had fun stuff to talk about. Yeah. Listener, forgive us. Hopefully you've lasted this long. Shall we end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Oh God, because without you, we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. O God, the source of all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to your servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that we being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness. Through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord. And by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.